from Isaiah 64, starting with the first verse. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and to cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Father, as we come to these words today, we pray that you would help that ancient prophet of Isaiah to come alive to our hearing today. Father, we pray that you would help us to see just what you have for us in these words that we might once again come to experience you in a fresh, new, and exciting way. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Number one in your outlines today, experiencing God. There's a sense of urgency and a sense of pleading and a sense of emotion in these words that sometimes we might not fully grasp. Twice. Isaiah pleads for God to come down from heaven. There's another phrase that he uses three times. The NIV simply uses the word you. If you're following in the King James or the Revised Standard Version, the translation there is your presence used three times in verses 1, 2, and 3. The Hebrew word there is pane. Get used to that word. Write it down. Get comfortable with it. Pane. P-A-N-E. E-H. There are two ideas with this word pane. First, it simply means to come closer to be recognized. Imagine you're at the mall one day and you're walking and you look out ahead of you and there are a lot of people passing by and you see a face in the distance and, and something tells you, I think I know that person. And you take a few more steps and you're coming toward each other and you look closer and you recognize that it's your pastor. And so you come up and you say, Good afternoon, Pastor. How are you? So good to see you. That's the first part of Pane, simply coming close enough to be recognized. But the second application of that word Pane is to come forward with intent and purpose. Imagine you're walking at the mall one day and you see a face you think you recognize. And you look and you think, I think that looks like my pastor. 
and you're taking steps toward each other and you get closer to each other and finally you realize, yes, it is my pastor. And you come up to him and you say, Pastor, I'm so glad to see you. I have been wanting to see you. I had this $100 bill in my pocket and I wanted to... That's the second application of Pane, coming forward with intent and purpose. Isaiah is saying, God, be real to us today. Come down with intention and purpose. It wasn't that God wasn't real to them. This is not a call from the prophet that God simply exists. He's not trying to convince people that God exists. That's the given. They know that. God had already revealed himself through Moses and through the burning bush to Egypt through those miracles back before the Exodus to the nation of uh, Israel through that pillar of fire and then through the prophets and priests and kings of the Old Testament. They knew all of that. What we need to realize is that Isaiah is not trying to convince the people of anything here. In fact, he's not even talking to the people. He's not in prophesying mode Isaiah is talking to God now Isaiah himself has no doubt of God's existence he experienced that in a very real way back in that sixth chapter of Isaiah he knows God is real what Isaiah is saying is God we need more than our memories there are many people today who can point to a time in their past when they had a real and valid experience with God. Their heart was warmed and they felt his presence, his pane. God came to you and you recognized his love for you and how he came to you with intent and purpose to save your soul. But today, that warmth has cooled. Because the relationship has not been cultivated, hasn't been kept up, it has not been encouraged. And so these are people who need to hear Isaiah calling out on your behalf, God, come down once more and be real to us. Remember that twofold meaning of that word pane. Isaiah is God, is calling for God to come down once more to be recognized so that we might once again experience his goodness and his love and his mercy and his grace. But he's also saying, oh God, come down and impact our lives with intent and purpose. We need to understand exactly the reason that Isaiah is calling for this on behalf of Israel and for us today as well. Because you see, it's not that God moved or withdrew his presence in any way, we are the ones who moved. A, in your outline, we moved, not God. The Babylonian captivity was prophesied a hundred years before it happened. Why? Because Israel had turned away from God. And this turning away would get even worse during the captivity. And just as Israel moved away, we too are the reason that we cannot feel his presence. And Isaiah is saying, God, be real to us. We need more than our memories. We're going to explore some of the reasons 
that Isaiah is making this plea in just a moment, but we need first to see some very characteristic thoughts in the Old Testament. We see a hint of this in verse 3. Look at it. First is simply calling on past experience. Now, this is a trademark of prayer. Remembering how God has worked and how God has answered prayer in the past. Verse 3 is referring to God's work in the Exodus. The miracles, the plagues, the pillar of fire, all of those things. You moved among us once before, now come again. Remembering how God worked in the past. And that brings us to the second point here. We move, not God, and yet God comes to us. In verse 3, the verbs are in past tense. They're referring back to those events in history, the exodus, all of those things. But there's also another application here. And in order to see it, we need to have a little brief Bible lesson here. There are different categories of psalms in the Old Testament. And one of those categories are the laments. The laments are more than just sad songs or songs lamenting something that happened, songs about death or dying. The laments in the psalms are filled with hope and faith. And they are beautiful, beautiful expressions of promise and expectation. Maybe sometime we can do a study on the laments in the psalms. And in some of these laments, as well as some other Old Testament writings, appeals are being made for God to intervene or to move in some way. There were individual laments, individuals facing sickness, facing some challenges, David facing Saul, other events coming up in the lives of individuals. There were also corporate laments where the nation of Israel was facing pestilence or a famine or a national emergency, an opposing army was approaching. And in some of these writings, the tense of the verb is changed even in the middle of a verse, sometimes to sound as if God was already answering their prayers. They were praying to God, asking for God to do something, and then they began verbalizing as, as if it was already happening. In fact, in some of the laments, it even goes to past tense. They start referring to what they asked God to do in past tense as if it had already happened. That's how great their faith was. And that's what Isaiah is doing here as well. God, I'm going to trust that you are at work in a mighty and powerful way that is unmistakable. And so let me ask you today, how great is your faith? Do you believe that God has something for you, even today, here, right now, this service? Or will you be like that little boy tonight saying your prayer, saying, God, I wish you could have been there? Number two in your outlines, what will happen? I want to give you three things that I believe will happen when we decide to get real about our relationship with God. First of all, mountains will shake and crumble. We see in verse 1, also in verse 3, when God makes his presence known, his pane, mountains will shake and crumble. Israel experienced it literally in the Old Testament, and I believe that it can happen today 
as well. Now, am I talking about earthquakes and volcanoes? No. But I'm talking about those kinds of mountains that you and I face every day. I'm talking about mountains of sickness, mountains of fatigue, mountains of discouragement, mountains of despair, mountains of challenges and unrest, mountains of misunderstandings and doubt. I have to wonder if Jesus might have had some of these kinds of mountains in mind as well as those physical mountains in the distance. And he said one day if we had just enough faith as a little mustard seed that that mountain would go away. Isaiah had enough faith to approach it as if it had already happened. Churches face mountains today as well. Mountains of lacking leadership. Mountains of limited attendance or limited budgets. Mountains of disagreements. Mountains of improper attitudes or apathy. Mountains of being without a permanent pastor. First Baptist Church of Titusville, are we ready to allow God to remove some mountains in this place? According to Isaiah, we need to believe that not only he can, but we need to believe that he already has. It's just a matter of time before he fully reveals it to us. God, be real. Show us your power. Show us your pane. There's something else that happens when God shows his presence with intention and purpose, and that is the presence of a cleansing and refining fire. God is very often referred to as fire throughout the scriptures. The burning bush with Moses. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire. The prophets of Baal were destroyed by fire. Fire is associated with cleansing and with judgment. The fire of God is a purifying fire. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, Jesus is referred to as the messenger of the covenant who is like a refiner's fire who will purify the sons of Levi. That's a greater application to the church. Isaiah experienced that cleansing of that fiery coal from the altar back in Isaiah chapter 6. And in the very same way, when we experience the pane of God, we too are led to confession because we see how we fall short of what God wants for us in terms of cleanliness and a life of purpose. God, be real to us. Cleanse us from those things that we know are impure. Purify us with those things that are keeping us from experiencing you. There's something else that will happen when God becomes real to us, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, one will come after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit's ministry is also equated with fire in the Bible. When God becomes real in the life of his people, his spirit blazes upon us and worship becomes alive. 
and our lives become characterized by zeal and energy. I want to make one other point from verse 2 before we leave it. In pleading for God to make his presence known, look at verse 2, his pane. Isaiah uses the illustration of a fire causing twi- uh, from twigs causing water to boil. That's a very practical image. One that's easy for us to picture, a small fire heating a pot of water to a boil. But there is another illustration from that verse that's much more powerful. In some of the Hebrew literature, there is a word in Isaiah 64, verse 2, reshef. And reshef is the word for lightning. You see, in some of these writings, the presence of God is not just being likened to a small cooking campfire. God's presence is being compared to lightning. Do you know that the air around lightning reaches a temperature of over 54,000 degrees? Did you know a lightning bolt can display more than one million volts of electricity? That is the kind of power that God wants to impart on us. Christian songwriter Graham Kendrick, son of a Baptist pastor in England, wrote these words in 1987. Lord, the light of your love is shining. In the midst of darkness, shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Lord, I come into your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood I enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume my darkness and shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Flow, river flow. Flood the nations with grace and mercy. Send forth your word, Lord, and let there be light. We come to the why question. Number three in your outlines. Why is Isaiah addressing this? Why are we even thinking about it today? Isaiah was prophesying that there were some things that would need addressing as a result of the Babylonian captivity. They would soon be returning home. And Isaiah was calling attention to some of the issues of the captivity. First of all, A in the outlines, sin. There was that rebellion against what God had commanded them and what he wanted from them. Throughout their history, God had made it clear what he required from his people in the way of sacrifice and worship. He said that there would be no other gods before him. And yet... When they were in Babylon, they started following some of those false and pagan gods of that culture. When they were away from the temple, they were to build altars with certain specifications, and there they would offer their sacrifices. But once again, while they were in Babylon, they started building their altars the way the Babylonians did, namely with man-made bricks instead of natural stones the way God had told them. They also started worshiping 
in gardens and in graveyards and actually in tombs. And this led to praying to evil spirits and praying to the dead. They got away from their consecration. They started eating foods that God had told them were unclean. And so because of all of this, they became sinful and unclean in God's sight. May I suggest for us today that the reason some people may very well find themselves in their own captivity, in their own Babylon, is because they have compromised the standards that they know God has placed on their lives. Oh God, be real to us once more. This leads to the second reason that we need to experience God's presence today, and that is uncleanliness. Verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You see, in their eyes, they weren't doing anything wrong. But in God's sight, it was evil. Sin had so dulled their hearts and minds and their awareness of him that in their minds, everything was just fine, but not according to God. They thought they were dressing their lives up pretty well. But God said through Isaiah, it was as if they were contaminated. But you know what? That wasn't the worst of it. Verse 5 gives us a glimpse when it says they continued in sin. In other words, what they were doing was pointed out to them, and yet they went right on doing it, even knowing that it was wrong. But that still was not the worst part of it. We're in chapter 64. We have a little bit more detail in chapter 65, and that's the next part of the outline, false righteousness. You listen as I read from Isaiah 65, starting with verse 2. This is God speaking now. And God says this, All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. A people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs and whose pots hold broth of impure meat. Verse 5, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. You see, it wasn't just the man-made bricks versus the stones. It wasn't just the altars versus the gardens or the tombs. It wasn't just how or where they worshipped. It wasn't just that they were disobeying God. All of those things were bad enough. But the worst part of it was that they got to the point where they thought themselves that they were sacred. God didn't go anywhere. They were the ones who moved away, and they moved so far away from God that they were saying to him, we don't need you anymore. We'll just be our own gods. Oh, pastor, 
We would never do that. We're good people. Well, I'm sorry, but yes, you would. I can take care of myself, God. I can raise my family by myself, God. I can provide for myself, God. I don't need to read your word, God. I am in complete charge of my life, my home, my marriage. I control my destiny. And if I need anything from you, I'll let you know. Now, we might not vocalize it using those words. But by our attitudes and by our actions, we are saying, God, there is nothing in my life. There is nothing in my home, my family, my finances, my well-being, my relationships, my health. There is nothing that I need to talk to you about. God forbid. Here's your homework today. Spend some time in prayer this week identifying some of those areas where you have pushed God aside and where you've been operating on your own power. Maybe there are some things that you have taken away from God and you need to give them back. Pray about it this week. That's why. Back in that 64th chapter in the opening verses, Isaiah said twice, Oh God, please come down to us once more. That's why he said three times, show us your face. Come closer so that we can recognize you. We're the ones who messed up. We're the ones who moved away. You were real to us once, but we need more than our memories. Oh God, be real to us. Fill our lives once again with intent and purpose. Number four in your outlines, how do we get it? I want us to see some things that we can do to get real with God. Once again, we go back in chapter 64, and starting with the latter part of verse 7, we're going to see some negatives that we can simply turn around into positives. Verse 7, first one is prayer. Verse 7, Isaiah says, no one calls on your name anymore. If we want to get real with God, in a relationship, not just religion, it must begin with prayer. If First Baptist Church of Titusville is ever going to see some mountains crumble, it must begin with prayer. The next thing verse 7 says is that people are not striving to lay hold of God. It's the same word used in Scripture for stirring. In other words, Wake up. That's next in your outline. Isaiah is saying we need to stir ourselves. We need to wake ourselves up. Be in your outline. Wake up. Don't wait for a fiery sermon or a wonderful testimony from someone else. Don't wait to be emotionally stirred by a moving song. In the New Testament, James says you draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. Isaiah says to get up and quit waiting for it to happen, to move yourselves, to wake yourselves up, to stir yourselves, to strive for it. Sometimes we need to just be like Nike, just do it. And finally, just accept him. Verse 8, we are the clay, you're the potter, we are the work of your hands. Verse 9, 
Look on us, we pray, for 